0: Well, clearly, I'm not Ian Kitchen, who was supposed to be preaching this morning. Y'all can be praying for the Kitchen family. Uh, four of them have, have tested positive for COVID, so they're working through that, trying to get, get over that mess. Uh, so Ian thought it'd be wise not to, not to be here this morning, and we agree with that completely. So we're going to continue our series on prayer. This morning, we're going to be in Colossians 1, 9 to 14. I want to start with this question. As you think about your prayer life, maybe over the past two days, over the past week, over the past month, over the past year, who or what do you pray for? As a church, we set, a time, we set aside time each week to pray for local, national, or international mission partners during our offering time. That's what Joseph just did. He's praying for this team coming up next week from, from Cross Point Church, which, which is our sending church that helped us plant this several years back. So, as we pray for these different churches, these different families, these different organizations, I hope you are growing in your knowledge of them, but also for your love for them. Today in our passage, Paul is praying for Christians he had never met. Paul is in prison says I'm writing this from chains. He's in prison giving thanks for the Colossians but also interceding on their behalf. He knows about them because of Epaphras, who was probably saved while Paul was in Ephesus. He's one of Paul's sons in the faith. Epaphras is believed to have been the one who planted this church in Colosse, the Colossian church that Paul is praying for are his, are his spiritual grandchildren. That's who he's interceding on behalf here. That's who he's giving thanks for, these grandchildren in the faith. I hope today our future prayers will be shaped by how, by how Paul prays for this church. As we continue to intercede on behalf of our partners in India, across the U.S. and right here in Charlotte, may we be encouraged to pray like Paul. Again, many of them we've never met, right? We've never met. Megan, one of our members, she's in India along with Shannon right now working alongside of believers, partners who we've never met. But we're interceding on behalf of them. We want them to see this this same prayer happen in their lives that Paul's praying for the Colossian church. But we want to see them bear fruit. We want to see them increase in strength. We want to see them grow in knowledge. That's our longing. So what I want to do is is I want to read this passage. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, I want us to be challenged today by this this big idea of this text. Pray for others. Pray for others to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Pray for others to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now humbled by your word. God, you have have given us this inerrant, infallible, sufficient word from Genesis to Revelation. It is God-breathed, and it is useful for our lives. Father, we pray now that by your spirit you would give us understanding. Yes, Lord, you would increase our knowledge. You would would fill us with the knowledge of your will. But, God, that that would be transferred into our lives, that we would live lives worthy of you. That we would be fully pleasing to you. God, we pray now. God, teach us. Teach us from your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul begins this passage in verse 9. From the day we heard. From the day we heard. Heard what? What's Paul talking about? Again, as we come to a text, because right now what we're doing is we're going through different prayers of the Bible. So we haven't been working consecutively through uh, a book of the Bible right now like we normally do. So it's always important, right? We don't just take a text and rip it out and say, thus saith the Lord. We actually look around it. We want to know what comes before, what comes after, where it is in the Bible, so that we can comprehend and we can actually put it into practice rightly. So what Paul is saying here, and so from the day we heard, heard what? Well, let me read verses 3 through 8 so you know and I know what he has heard about this church. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard What have you heard, Paul? We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We heard of your faith and of the love that you have for all the saints. Colossae, y'all love the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it, is also, as it also does among you. See that? We've heard that the gospel is going forth in all the world, but it's also going forth among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, and then listen to verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Epaphras was the church planner here. He is the one who went forth, sowed the seed, and this church was birthed. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul has heard from Epaphras, first-hand witness, testimony about this church in Colossae. Yes, this church has problems. If we were to study through it, we'd see some problems in this church. But what stands out is their faith, their love, their hope. Right, this is, this is what Paul is saying here. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I can imagine Paul, like, I don't know where he kept it, but he just has all of these churches written down, right? Because he says this in a lot of his epistles. We are continuously praying for you. We've not ceased to pray for you. man. this dude, I don't know if it was daily. I don't know if it was on, like, Monday, he prayed for all of the churches in Asia Minor. Tuesday, he prayed for all of the churches in, in, in like, Eastern Europe. I, I have no idea. But this man was a prayer warrior. Remember, he is in prison. And he says, church, I have not ceased to pray for you. And then we get to Paul's primary request. It's really the only request in this passage. And it's in verse 9. Asking... That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is Paul's primary request for this church. That they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with the knowledge of his will. This is the primary request that drives the rest of this prayer. Till verse 14. Paul desires for these believers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This knowledge consists of wisdom and understanding. And he says it's spiritual. The spirit is the one who does this work by his word. We grow in the knowledge of God's will by being people of the word. This is why our normal diet of preaching at this church's exposition, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We just finished up Genesis in the fall, just in a few weeks, we're gonna jump into Mark for about 17, 18 weeks. We believe that God's word Is living and active, and from it the Spirit guides and teaches us the will of God. So, what is God's will? What is Paul talking about here? The idea Paul wants us to have, what he wants to get across, is that God's will is for us to walk in a way that that is pleasing to the Lord. In Ephesians, we're told to know the will of the Lord in chapter 5, and then Paul gives us different situations on how we should live. This is what it looks like to to love your wife. This is what it looks like to respect your husband. This is what it looks like to parent. This is what it looks like for slaves and masters. This is how we live in a manner worthy. The gospel applied to our life. God's word applied to our life is God's will for our life. In 1 Thessalonians, we're told God's will is for us to be sanctified. Later he writes to be joyful, Pray continually and give thanks for this is God's will. This knowledge that He's praying for, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, it is not just intellectual knowledge. It's not just knowing all of these things, but it's actually active. It gets to work in our lives, right? Faith without works is dead. It's dead. It doesn't work. God created us for good works. We're his workmanship. And that's why Paul says in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the reason we are, we're able, right? He says, he says he wants us to have this wisdom and understanding that's given by the Spirit. And the reason we're able to have this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding is because we're in Christ Jesus. He's writing to saints. He's writing to believers. In, ver- in chapter 2, verse 3 of Colossians, he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Spirit imparts wisdom and knowledge and understanding into our lives when we come into Christ. You see, wisdom, this idea of wisdom, is not just knowing. It's not just knowing. It's living in light of that knowing. It's living in light of that knowing. That's what Proverbs is all about. There is so much wisdom given in Proverbs. But it's all practical. Don't go to the adulterer's house. Stay away from that that person. Right? Talks about friends. Talks about enemies. Like this is how we live out this knowledge. We put it to use. Yes, we want to be knowledgeable of the word. We want to know the word. We want to meditate on it. We want to memorize it. We want to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. Knowing God's will. we, We want to know God's will, but we also want to be empowered by the Spirit to do the will of the Lord. Jesus is very clear in the Great Commission. It's something that we quote, I mean, all the time in this church. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize, but then he says, teach them. He doesn't leave it at that. It's not just teach them a bunch of knowledge. He says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. We live lives of obedience. So this this knowledge, right, be filled with the knowledge of, of, of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then Paul puts in a little word here, so, so, right? And this is the purpose he gives us in verse 10. The purpose of this is that we would be pleasing. We would please the Lord by the way we live. Pleasing the Lord by the way we live. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's the purpose. Saints, that's the purpose of our lives. What's the will of God for your life? This right here. Live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's that's it. Who am I going to marry? Just walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Just walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What job should I take? Walk, just walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If it's a job that, that isn't exactly the right fit, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is, this is God's will. That we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. By being filled with the knowledge of God's will, we then bring pleasure to him because we walk in a manner worthy of him. We live lives to His glory. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it to His glory. As I was as I was was pondering this the last two days, just think about this. I hope this actually. I hope this blows your mind. Finite people, us. We will all die. Right. We have. We're born into this world and we will die. One out of one people will die. Our finite selves can bring pleasure to the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the redeemer of mankind. Like, just just take that in for a second. Your life, the way you live, the way you understand who God is and the way you put that into practice can please your creator. I mean, this is incredible. This this doesn't, I, I can't quite comprehend how this is possible, that me, of seven billion plus on this earth right now, billions more that have lived before and billions more that will live after, bring pleasure to the God who spoke and brought all things into being, fully pleasing to him, to the Lord. As we walk in obedience to his word, we bring pleasure to our God. So just a few questions. Do you live your life in a manner worthy of the Lord? From when you get up in the morning, to when you go to work, to how you speak to people. How much of our lives are spent on trivial things that will soon pass away? Just think about that how much time this past week did you spend watching netflix or amazon prime or disney plus right like just think about these things like they're they're not bad things but they can be time-consuming things that have no kingdom worth whatsoever many times we choose to please ourselves instead of pleasing god Our lives, we're told in Romans 12, are not to be conformed to this world, but they're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to look more like Jesus each and every day. Here are a few more questions from one commentator. What would Jesus have me do? What is speech or conduct worthy of him? What sort of speech or conduct in this context should I avoid simply because it would shame him? What would please him most? If we, if we went about our days just asking those simple questions and then acting on those answers according to the word, man, I think we would have much more joyful lives. We, would, we wouldn't have any regrets, <laughs> right? We wouldn't get at the end of the day and regret that we said that or did that or watched that or thought that. I want to encourage you. If there is, like as you look at your life, if there's recurring sin in your life, I encourage you to get help. Look around you. There's brothers and sisters that want to walk alongside of you. That's why we have churches. right? That's why disciples gather in churches. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we bear one another's burdens. We fight alongside one another to live worthy lives. The call. Let us please the Lord together through the way we talk, think, and act. Paul continues with giving us four characteristics of a life that is pleasing to the Lord, right? The purpose of this, this prayer, is that we would please the Lord. So, Paul, what does that look like? Four characteristics from 10 to 12. First, we would bear fruit. So, as a walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul has already thanked God for the gospel bearing fruit in the world and in Colossae. He says here that in every good work we bear fruit. As we live lives pleasing to the Lord, we will bear fruit. Jesus tells us in, Ma- in, in John 15 that if we abide in him, right, if we stay connected to the vine, we will bear fruit. The blessed man in Psalm 1, it's, it's all these negatives to begin that, that psalm, and then there's the positive. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, and he is fruitful. He's fruitful. He bears good fruit. When we share the gospel, when we serve our community, when we love others, we bear good fruit. That's what Paul says is is pleasing to the Lord. We bear good fruit. Second, we increase in knowledge. We increase in the knowledge of God. We are on a journey. We will never exhaust what we can learn about God. We increase in knowledge as we read the word, as we meet with one another, as we walk in obedience. This idea is, is easily grasped in our, in our society, right? We get this. From five-year-old five to 22-year-old, right, we're expected to increase in knowledge in school. We go to kindergarten, first, second, third, all the way up to if you get an undergrad degree. Some of us in here probably were in school until we're 26, 27 years old, right? We got masters, then doctorates. Like, this is what we do. We understand an increase in knowledge at your job. You have trainings that hopefully increase your knowledge about that job. We have equipped classes starting, starting next month that we want to see our knowledge increase about who God is and what he's done. The purpose of knowledge is to put it into practice that we may live worthy lives, fully pleasing to God. Third, he says, be strengthened. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience be strengthened this is another characteristic of a life that pleases the lord god is the one who strengthens us he does this by his glorious might the purpose of us being strengthened is for endurance and patience one paraphrase of this verse is strengthened by god with the greatest strength imaginable right be that's what it says be strengthened With all power according to his glorious might. So, the the creator of the universe, the glorious God who spoke all things into being, Paul here is saying, be strengthened by his glorious might. The God who raised Jesus from the dead now strengthens us by his glorious might. Endurance and patience, that's what comes out as we're strengthened for all endurance and patience. Patience. These are not easily attained. Listen to D.A. Carson. He says, This expression suggests both the kind of stamina that gets under a burden and carries it with enduring fortitude. Right? You think about a, you know, several hundred pound boulder on your back. Like, lift it up. It takes fortitude, endurance to carry it. And the kind of stamina that knows how to possess its soul in patience. As you think about your life, as you think about our culture, endurance is something not many practice today. The athletes, we see them, NBA players, NFL players, MLB players, like we see them enduring to, for a goal. But many times in our lives, when life gets t- tough, we, we run away or we hide. We're, we're quick to, to speak and we're quick to become angry instead of quick to be patient. Right? These, are, these are not... Uh, These are not uh, qualities that just naturally flow out of us, endurance and patience. These qualities are so far beyond human capacity that they require the power of the Spirit of God. We need God to see this happen in our lives, to endure and to have patience on this journey of the Christian life. But that's a characteristic of a life lived pleasing God. And then finally, Paul says in verse 12, he says, give thanks. Giving thanks to the Father. Many commentators, as I was studying this passage, believe the joy at the end of 11 should be connected with giving thanks. We would say joyfully giving thanks. A giving thanks that overflows with joy. We're to be a thankful people. Thanksgiving should flow from our lips in the good and the bad. Do you consider yourself a, a thankful person? I find myself going day by day and, and getting to the end of the day and just saying, man, I, I was not a thankful person today. I was not thankful. You know, our regular rhythms in prayer should invite us being a, thank, a thankful person, right? From, from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we pray before our meals, and we give thanks for God for providing uh, in the evenings, maybe we pray and we give God thanks for sustaining us through the day. Maybe in the morning you pray and you give thanks to God for sustaining you through the night. Right? We give thanks to God through trials and tribulations. We give thanks to God for, for persecution and affliction. We give thanks to God when there's joy in our lives and when there's mourning. Paul says give thanks to the Father. Giving thanks brings pleasure to our God. And again, it's how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul's going to help us out here, though. As you think about giving thanks to the Father, several things may be coming to your mind. Maybe you're giving thanks for a house, a car, your family, your friends, your church. Paul here is actually going to direct our minds to give thanks to the Father for something even greater something priceless, this treasure of our salvation. So he's going to give us, I tried to, I tried to just condense it into like three, just so maybe we can, we can remember it. Uh, and, and throughout the week, throughout our lives, we can give thanks for these. But really three ways Paul directs the church in Colossae through his prayer and also us of how we should give thanks to the Father. Or why we should give thanks to the Father. First, we see there, for us who are in Christ, we have a new inheritance. A new inheritance. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Brother, sister in Christ, you are qualified. You're qualified. This is the Father's working in your life. He does it. You see, we stand before God, condemned and unqualified. I want you to think about this. this. This pales in comparison to how unqualified we are before a holy God. But how many of us could qualify for the Olympics in any event? Swimming, 100 meter, Shooting, like skiing, just, just pick something. Could anyone in here qualify for any Olympic event, even in your prime, right? Even in your prime, could you qualify? Some of you are going, yeah, I could. <laughs> yeah, I could be, I could have made it the dream team. We stand Unqualified. We stand unqualified, right? We would not meet the mark of any Olympic event. How much more do we pale in qualifying to be children of God? Our sin is missing the mark. We're unqualified and we're actually disqualified. From birth, we're disqualified. We're born sinners. We're born sinners and and our sin demands punishment. Our sin has separated us from Him and it deserves death and wrath. Yet, right here, Paul says, God has qualified you. We're qualified in Christ and we're qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. How is this possible? God, how, how can we even call you Father? And how can Paul say that we're qualified for this inheritance with the saints in light? Look at Colossians 1, to 23 with me. Actually, 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How are we qualified? In Christ. In Christ. We were once alienated, hostile, doing evil evil deeds, unqualified, disqualified. But he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We're qualified in Christ Jesus. This is where our qualification comes from. Not only do we have a new inheritance, but we also have a new kingdom. We have a new kingdom. Give thanks for this new kingdom. He has delivered us, verse 13, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. All of us right now are either living in darkness or have been, been delivered from darkness. Apart from God, we live in the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We walk in darkness until we meet King Jesus. And in Jesus alone, we're transferred into his kingdom. God delivers us from darkness and he transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He takes us from darkness and he He brings us into his marvelous light. This is the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus is king. He's beloved by the Father. At his baptism, he speaks over his son. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. At his transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Delivered and transferred, we now live in and for a new kingdom. And third, we give thanks for a new life. We give thanks for a new life in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus tells the crowd in in Mark 10, he says, I came not to be served. The son of God came to not be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We were bought with a price. Not only have we been bought But we've also been forgiven. We were once slaves to sin. But now we've been forgiven and our sin is done away with. We have new life in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. This is salvation. This is what we give thanks for. D.A. Carson commenting on this. He says, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And he sent us a savior. This is our greatest need. We need a Savior. As Paul is praying for this church, he wants them to be thankful. He wants them to be thankful. That's a part of a life pleasing to the Lord. My, my ask is, is your life pleasing to the Lord? Can you claim these beautiful truths, these treasures of the gospel that you've been qualified, that you have a new inheritance, that you've been brought into a new kingdom, that you have new life? If not, it's, it's so clear. Yes, you, you're alienated from God. You're, you're hostile in mind. Your life, your sin deserves punishment, but Jesus took that on the cross. He's redeemed you. If you'll come to him and just, just simply acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. But you've taken that punishment. Lord, I, I need life in you. I believe that you died for my sins and, and that on the third day you rose from the dead. And now you're seated on the throne next to the Father interceding on behalf. If. If that's you today, if you see your life, if you're disqualified, if you're still in darkness, if you're still living in your sin, I plead with you. I plead with you, come and and talk. If someone invited you this morning, talk with them and ask more questions. Because this is the truth and this is how Paul finishes up this section. He prays, right? He prays. And then all of these truths about the gospel and what God has done in Christ, it leads him to a song about Jesus. We're going to come back to this song in our benediction, but now I just want to read this song to you. It's Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and it's all about Jesus. He is the image of, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Because of that, we can live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Because of that, we can intercede on behalf of one another, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that we would live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's our longing, and that's where I want us to turn our focus now is we spend some time praying together. This morning, I want us to pray these three prayer requests. One, or I guess two prayer requests and then a thanksgiving. So what we want to do is we want to, we want to pair up or get in threes or fours. And let's pray. Let's pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Let's pray for a life that pleases the Lord. And then third, let's thank God for our salvation, that we have a new inheritance, that we have a new kingdom, and that we have new life. Let me pray for us, and then what we'll do is we'll turn and we'll pray for five, six minutes, and then our band will come back up and we'll sing because he lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for Jesus, that in him we find abundant life. Lord, in him, you've, you've taken us from the domain of darkness, delivered us from that, and you've transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son. You've redeemed us, and you have forgiven our sins. God, there's great joy in that. Father, may we give thanks all our lives for that. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.